We the City is recorded on Gadigal land. I pay my respects to the traditional custodians, the elders, past, present, and emerging. Just a heads up, this episode contains some adult language. Art. Activism. Identity. Diving deep with one artist a week, we meet the individuals who use their art to trigger change in the city of Sydney. Who are they and what's their story? Stick around to find out on We The City. Hi, I'm Blue Lucene. And today on We The City, I speak with Henrietta Baird, an artist who works across dance, performance and theatre. Henrietta also works at the Botanical Gardens as an Aboriginal Education Officer. I speak with Henrietta about the importance of culture in her practice and why we need to find the funny side of a sad situation. Here's Henrietta. Hello, Henrietta Baird. Thank you so much for joining me today on We The City. How are you going? I'm good, thank you. I'll just say that um, I would like to acknowledge the Gadigal, whose country we are doing this interview on, and like to thank my ancestors and elders um, for having us here today. I wanted to start with, um, so you are a performer, a writer, and a dancer. Is that how you would characterise yourself, or have you got other things in your bag of tricks as well? <laughs> well, um, I do see myself as a performer or just an artist. I don't consider myself as a writer because, um, you know, that was a one-off thing. And, yeah, we'll see what happens uh, with the writing. Um, what was the other one? I think you're very humble. <laughs> I, only, I only wrote once and it was only a smash hit, but that's fine. We'll get to that later. I also called you a dancer. Yes, I am a dancer. Um, and I think that's why artists covers everything. But yeah, I do do those three different things at different times. Mm-hmm. But in my bag of tricks, I do yeah, what teach. Else you got? What else you got? <laughs> I do teach at the Royal Botanic Gardens. Um, I teach kids and, you know, people from all over the world. But we run lessons um, and are connected to the New South Wales um, curriculum. So we talk about Aboriginal history, Aboriginal people, plants, animals. um, And um, we make sure um, that when we're taking the kids out, that our lessons are outside. And so if I was a kid going along to one of these lessons, what would I do? Well, you'd be um, taken for a walk in the Royal Botanic Gardens and depending on your lesson, you might be, you know, learning about the history, you might be learning about the harbour, you might be learning about um, medicinal plants. So we teach a range of things. That sounds wonderful. Uh, Thinking about kids, can you tell me where you were born and what you consider your country to be? I was born in um, far north Queensland in Cairns, but I grew up on Jabogai country, which is up in the mountain ranges. And um, around about year nine, I then moved to North Strabrook Island, where I grew up um, on, yeah, in Brisbane. What kind of family did you grow up in? 
um, what kind of family? A loving family, a family that went out bush all the time, like on the weekends. We were also um, seven-day Adventists too. So from from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown, I wasn't allowed to watch any movies or listen to music. Wow. And did you have many siblings? I have two sisters, yeah, but all of my family members, like your mum's sisters are your mums, your mum's brothers are your dads, and your cousins, your first and second cousins are your brothers and sisters. Wow. And how important was that close family to you growing up? Um, It was really important. You know, I think um, when you're talking about families and connection, you got to make sure um, that when you're with the family members, you, you know, there's always the sense of um, people or, you know, family members enjoying each other's space, regardless of how hectic and chaotic it may be. But um, yeah, going out bush and going fishing together and having those stories where, you know, you might bump into an echidna or, um, you know, somebody getting taken down the river or catching your first eel, like those 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 stories are really important. And when you're family orientated, it um, it's even better because um, yeah, they watch your behaviour, they make jokes about you, they even tease you. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think um, growing up with my older cousins, because I was so light skinned, they'd say are you not bummer? Like, you're not a black girl, you know, you're like white. And I'd be like, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm bummer. Like, you know, I'm an Aboriginal person. And they're like, no, you're not. You're too white. And I'd be like questioning my identity then. But um, later on, you know, um, it's those stories that, yeah, make family family. It's beautiful watching your face light up when you when you talk about those experiences. Did you have an interest in medicinal plants and things like that at a young age or did that come in as you kind of became an adult? No, we were always taught about plants. Like you go out bush, make sure you stay away from the stinging tree, you know, Um, identifying them and make sure we knew that it was the big love heart plant that Mm -hmm. we had to stay away from. Or the wait a while (laughs) because the plant would, it's like a vine that, sticks onto you and if you move it'll rip your skin it'll rip your clothes so if you got caught in it um you have to wait a while to get out of it you know but with that one in particular there was a fruit called mill mud so we would eat it you know so there was this thing of knowing which fruits were edible because we'd collect them before we go fishing or just on our journey to town or whatever um, and then you have your plants that were, you know, um, dangerous. And then you had your medicinal plants where you would be shown which ones they are um, and how to get the medicine from them. That's such an amazing experience. Um, and do you have children of your own? Yes, three boys. And where have they been raised? They were raised, um, they were raised up home partially on Strawberry Island and then when uh, my youngest was two he um, we all moved down here so most of their childhood has been here up until this day mm-hmm. and that's in the village of Glebe yeah yes 
And have you um, managed to kind of pass down much of that plant knowledge and and things into their daily life, or has that been um, a bit more challenging? Nah, it depends, you know. If I'm walking out, like if we're all walking together, I'll explain to them what that plan is, if it's on the street, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's only when we go back home that I would probably show them because we're in in the specific place mm-hmm. to be talking about it. Yeah. What role did your Aboriginality play in your upbringing? Hmm... And what I mean by that, I guess, was there a point where you kind of were faced with, um, I guess, whiteness and you saw a point of difference? Yeah, you know, um, when I was growing up, we there was a lot of Indigenous kids um, at, at our primary school in Karanda and I was faced with um, a lot of bullying um, because of my, you know, how light I was. But then there was this also this other challenge of being smart. And the bullying was that I was always placed in a different class to the other kids, the other Indigenous kids. So um, I'd always play, I'd always dumb myself, dumb myself down mm-hmm. in order to fit in which was really horrible. Yeah. And if I, I felt like if I didn't do that, um, I'd get bashed up. So, yeah, I pretended not to be smart just so that I could fit in. Wow. Mm. How do you think that um, impacted your character now as an adult? Well, I'm like, I'm spewing because I'm like, I wish I, I wish I just excelled. And, you know, it, it um, took me a while to become confident, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and I think NASDA showed me that. Yeah. National Aboriginal Islander Dance um, Association. Yeah. Tell me more about that. What do you... So when I came here to Sydney in 2001, I came to train and dance. I auditioned in 2000 and um, made it in. So um, when I got here, I really didn't know a lot of people, but uh, just um, my godmother's family uh, friends that she uh, was connected to. So they kind of took me in and just sort of um, showed me uh, around Sydney. And how old were you then? I was I was like 24 or something. Oh, how fun. Yeah, so I was, um, I was young with three, three boys under the age of 10. Wow. Um, moving here. It was a new, new big city. I didn't know where I was going. All I knew was that... George Street was the main street mm-hmm. <laughs> um, to ever catch my bus to get home. But, yeah, when, once I got to Naystar, you know, it was all about being um, independent. It was always about being confident and, um, you know, like kind of like proud of who you were. Hmm. And had you experienced that kind of pride in yourself before? Yeah, like I think about like... Uh, where was we? You know, there's always places where we'd go for NADOC and it was like, you know, like it was our day, you know. But um, I think when I grew up, like there wasn't a lot of that until later on because it was always about, oh, my God, it was so weird because 
I remember being in year four or five and we had this day and it was about wearing a, a Kubra hat with the corks and it was about, it was so weird, it was about engaging in, a, in, a, in an event but there was nothing about blackfellas. It was about the billabong and these stories about um, waltzing Matilda. And so like some kind of Australian-based yeah, day. Yes, but there was nothing told about Aboriginal people. And the only time I, I knew that was when mum would take us to the marches, you know, where we'd, you know, wear our Aboriginal shirts with the flag on it. And, yeah, so that was the only time that I knew that, you know, our culture was important at that time. And growing up learning about plants, that was like an everyday thing. It wasn't really like, oh, this is, you know, Aboriginal culture. We're going to take you out and learn about plants. That was like our lifestyle, you know. Mm. So it was It was until I, until I got down here that people go, oh, did you grow up culturally? But culturally to me is like, well, yeah, we went fishing, you know, we um, camped out. That's like a... Um, that was like an everyday thing for me, but I never seen it as a cultural lifestyle. You know, I was only like a kid, mm. not really understanding that, you know, our people were, were First Nations people. What was it like um, moving to Glebe? Um, it, was, it was interesting because I didn't want to take that place. When I first got there, I was like, oh, I don't, I think this place is too big. And um, the boys just were running into all the rooms and going, yay, we've got a new place, you know. Yeah, until I really, like, started to settle down, I thought, you know, this could be, this is going to, like, it'll, it'll be a good place for me because I'll be closer to the college. The boys can go to school close by. And, yeah, I've been there since 2004. And what were your impressions of, I mean, Glebe itself has already changed so much from 2004 to now. Mm. Um, what was it like back in 2004, kind of culturally and, and the village vibe? What do you remember about it then? I remember it being um, a place that was really, really relaxed a lot of people going to markets. And I remember one time I come home from Cairns and the whole street was blocked off and I was like, oh, my God, what's happening here? <laughs> and my mum, I had my mum with me and she's like, hey, where are we going? And I was like, I think, I think it's, it's, blocked, it's blocked off for this festival. Wow, it's, that's pretty cool because we live right on Glee Point Road. It was place of a lot of people that were very chilled and just enjoying what others were offering them, you know, their stalls, food, clothing, yeah, all these different, like, ornaments. Yeah, it was just really uh, a good place to be back then. How do you think it's changed now? I think Glebe is still a really beautiful place. It's always changing. You know, you get people on the streets that are, having their pizza at Domino's, making loud noises. And I got egged once, actually. No way. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think it was Halloween and 
I was walking home with the bag of groceries and out of nowhere, this dude just threw an egg at me and I was like, oh, great. It hurts so much. It does. Yeah. Eggs and the shell. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, I got lifted. If you don't clean it straight away, it sticks like concrete. Well, um, lucky it was only on my feet. So mm-hmm. I was happy about that. You wrote a play, even though you swear you're not a writer, but you did write a play uh, called The Weekend. That was a huge success. Can you tell me about the inspiration for that story and the process of bringing it to life? Well, um, at the time I was with the boy's dad and um, I had been offered um, uh, dance work, some dance work up in Cairns and as for this uh, production pop whistle crack which was um choreographed by uh marilyn miller and at the time it was going to be for three weeks but in the first week i said to my partner you know do you mind uh, watching the boys because uh, he at the time too was a scaffolder and he said yeah sure i'll watch them so i went up but um that first week The youngest boy rang me and he said, oh, mum, you know, dad's left us and we were starting to run out of food. And I thought, oh, you know, like um, I'm going to have to go and look for him. So me being nervous, I I just said to the director, look, do you mind if I go for the weekend? I'll come back. Um, I just got to make sure my boys are okay. Uh, just get them a sitter or something, just while I figure out where this lad is, you know. <laughs> so um, I, I I get there and find out that he's, you know, he's just gone on a bender. And um, it's taken that whole weekend for me to find him. But how I got into writing that story was that um, I'd, I ended up finding him and then we sort of, try to figure out, you know, why he was going that way. And obviously he had his own demons. And I thought, well, um, I'm going to have to try and, you know, figure out because I can't keep living like this um, where he's, you know, um, not going to be watching the boys or I'm going to be have to be left with them um, on my own. So... What I'd done was um, got his mum to go down there and watch the boys for me while I stayed up in um, Cairns, finished off the work. But how I came to writing it was <laughs> I'd gone from that project to a project in Melbourne and I think it was a couple of months later and um, it was still fresh in my mind and, you know, often when I'm nervous I just blurt stuff out Mm -hmm. so we were at the White House um, in Melbourne which is no longer um, there no more but um, Lara Week who you might know of um, she was taking care of uh, the White House at the time and um, I was working for Maria Randall on diversity I think it was and we I just got into Melbourne it was late I didn't know where the White House was I didn't you know I was a I was nervous and um, I was thinking, I hope I don't get lost, you know, because they were talking about cab drivers, like, just taking you the long route yeah. so you'd have to pay all this money. Yeah. And because I didn't know it, I was, I was like, oh, I hope I, I hope I don't get rolled, you know. 
So <laughs> um, Lara's on the phone. She's like, oh, just come up the street, you know, um, I'll meet you outside. I get in there and she's like, can I make you a tea or something? And I said, yes, please. And because there were other artists in that house, I think there was a nurse, there was a doctor, uh, actor. Um, and then <laughs> I said, oh, can I? I said, oh, hello. They're like, oh, this is so-and-so. I said, oh, can I tell you a really weird story? And they said, yeah, sure. <laughs> and I said, oh, well, this is what happened to me. And I just I, I, I just couldn't help myself but tell that story. And um, I started explaining explaining it to them. They're like, oh, wow, geez, you really went through a lot, didn't you? And I said, yeah. And I didn't realise that I'd put myself in danger, you know, because in the story I take this bum bag from the drug dealer and um, little did I know that there was drugs in there, needles, pills, money, and all I was thinking about was just finding him to get to the boys. Mm -hmm. So I, I would just do anything to help her get to where we need to go. And that's what she wanted me to do was hold the bum bag. You hold the bum bag. Yeah, all right then. So where are we going, you know? So anyways. Um, but if you'd been caught with that bun bag. Yeah, I would have went through straight away. That would have been the end of you. Yeah. So um, when I was telling them that story, um, Lara kind of approached me and she's like, you know, that kind of sounds like a play or something. And I said, ah, oh, yeah, and I kind of just shrugged it off like, ah, oh, yeah. Well, anyway, so I got to know people through throughout the White House and – then a um, couple of days later, Mughalan Theatre sent through an email asking for Indigenous writers to send their stories through. And I showed her and she's like, well, how about if I record you, we go and have dinner, I record you, tell the story again, and then we'll just write it from there, you know, so like verbatim. And I said, yeah, all right then. So we sent it through and um, I was I was one of six out of, um, I think, 26 writers that sent their work through. Yeah. So just to put in a bit of context for the listeners who who might not have heard The weekend, um, the reason it's so kind of exceptional is it did take you the entire weekend to find him and you went on a, sort of a wild goose chase. For Is that how you would describe it? Could you give us a bit of a kind of... A, a bounce through of some of the the plot. Yeah, sure. So just kind um, of the highlights. <laughs> because what? Because I guess why I want to talk about it is it ends up being for all its real life, uh, you know, kind of tragedy and, and extreme difficulty and and you know what you're talking about is afterwards you realised how much danger you were in and and how difficult it was. But in that moment, you were so charged up on adrenaline and that kind of you know, um, mother lion just protecting her cubs, trying to get back there to them, that you would do anything, right, to get there. Um, but the play is hilarious and the way you kind of take the audience on that journey, it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of this raucous adventure. Uh, so I would like to kind of capture for, for the listeners, could you bounce us through a couple of those, those plot points? Once I get to Sydney... Um, I asked the boys, um, you know, uh, I take them to the to the shops. We buy food so they're set up and ready, um, you know, for the next few days. 
And then I start to drink alcohol, but at the same time I'm ringing him, you know. And um, it just keeps going to, like it, it rings, but it then goes to the message bank. So um, all of Friday afternoon, Friday night, he doesn't answer. Saturday, all day Saturday, but then Saturday night, somebody answers. So I'm like, oh, who's this, you know? And um, on the other end, it's a female and she's like, hello, and I'm like, oh, hello. I said, um, is, um, you know, uh, Sean there? But his name is um, Simon. So um, is uh, Simon there? And she goes, nah, he's just going for beers. I grab some beers. He'll be back soon. So um, I go, oh. And then in my mind, I'm thinking, how do I get there? Because she's not going to, you know, she's, she doesn't want to really tell me. Um, the address. So I pretend that um, the only way to get there is to give, you know, say that I've got money for him. So I say, oh, well, you know, um, sis, oh, I've got some money for him. Um, do, you, do you reckon, can you just tell me where, where you are? Because oh, he, he told me, but I forgot. And she's like, um, ah, yeah, level, um, this level and this door, yeah, this number. So, all right, I get up there, but where I'm going to is Redfern and the Twin Towers, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I already know from just being there that nobody nobody wants to tell you stuff. They're very cautious, and that's what I say in the work. You know, they don't want to they don't want to say anything just in case um, they they might get in trouble. So we get there, and um, I get to the I go up the elevators and I speak about the elevators being, you know, like you can see in the elevators, but it's kind of blurry. You know, like. Um, and I explained that, or maybe that's just how I was feeling, because you you can't see yourself. But it's one of those, you know, mirrors where it makes you look warped. Mm. Yeah, like like an app, you like, know. Yeah, or like yeah. you're in a fun house or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, anyways, I get to her apartment, and as I walk in, um, you know, there's people sitting on the couch. There's a couple of followers about to shoot up, and as I walk into the space, I'm like, oh, you know, what the fuck did I walk into? Mm. So um, I just enter anyways because all I'm worried about is I just want to know where he is. And in the back of my mind, I'm also thinking, you know, is he sleeping with women? Mm. And, you know, like um, he's in this place where, you know, people that are trying to escape, they just do drugs, you know, because they're trying to get rid of or not think about everyday life. That is probably troubling them. So I'm kind of in his world now. So I just want to know what it's like. Mm. So I enter. Anyway, she gives me his phone. She gives me his wallet. And um, she says, oh, she goes, yeah, I'm, I'm fucking sick of it. Vibrate, nay. Because you've been calling since Friday. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> Probably earlier than that. Like yeah. I'm thinking early in the week because yeah, the boys yeah, were like, "Hey, mum, you know, dad's not here. We're running out of food." So that's what made me cruise. Mm. You know, it's amazing battery life on there. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it was on charge. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but the way she said it, I was like, "Oh my god." Anyways, we head out, and um, where um, I start going through his phone, I find that a woman's been texting him. And, you know, like I talk about in the show that my stomach is feeling sick, like, you know, that feeling of somebody playing around behind your back and you know that they're doing it, but 
that don't tell you, so you just investigate anyways, you know, just to prove that you're not going crazy. Mm. So go through his phone and um, in order to get out to the balcony, I had to step over a young girl and, you know, a pretty young girl too, you know. I explained she's a couple of, maybe a couple of years older than my son's. And she's got the, these little short shorts on. Yeah, and you know the ones with the pockets that hang out at the bottom? Yeah, those ones, like sexy ones. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I wonder if he's screwing her, you know? So I go through the phone and I say to the um, the drug dealer, I'm like, sis, um, do you know this number? And I show her the number and... I explain, you know, I think she's got like um, photographic memory because she remembers that phone number straight away and types it in. And um, the phone rings, but the phone rings from inside the house. <laughs> it's always coming from inside the house. <laughs> so I look, I look, I look at the, I look at the young girl because it's in her pocket, like the light, her phone's lighting up. And I look at the drug dealer, and I'm like. We look at each other and we're like, nah, I can't be. So I hang up and then I ring it again. And fair enough, the light comes from her her pocket. And the drug dealer says, that's the slut there. And she goes, oh, she'll suck dick for anything. And I'm thinking, oh, no. So I, in my mind, in my mind, in my heart, I'm like trembling, like I want to cry, but I can't. So I think, yeah, the mission's not over. No, nah, I still got to look for him. And I'm like, should I bash her? Nah, she's <laughs> wasted. Just leave her alone, you know. And um, then I say to the drug dealer, sis, can you just take me to um, find him? Anyways, um, she goes, yeah, all right then. So we get downstairs. She gives me her bum bag. And, of course, the bum bag's got the needles, got the drugs, got the pills. It's got everything, yeah. And um, <laughs> she says, oh, just hold it yet and I'll look for coppers. And um, she looks around and she goes, fucking run. So we're running and I'm like, holy shit. So I'll clutch the, the bum bag and I'm running. Anyways, we get to the other side and I'm thinking, why the fuck am I running from coppers? I'm not wanted. And she goes, yeah, give me that bum bag. And she snatches it off, snatches it off me. But we get to the other side of the um, Twin Tower. But in between in the story, um, we actually stop at um, the, these uh, swings at the kiddies' playground and you find out more about her lifestyle mm-hmm. and what she's done to try and make ends meet because mm-hmm. um, what's happened in her life, you know. So through, kind of throughout the story you're meeting these different characters yeah, as well. So um, Ronnie... Um, who's the drug dealer, Dee Dee, who's the sister, and she's on the other side of the Twin Towers. And we find out, I don't find out that till, that they're sisters until later on. Mm. But I also find out that, um, you know, um, she runs a bit of a service there too, you know, at her place. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, ah, oh, is he sleeping with her too? Mm-hmm. You know, because um, I find out that he's at a bubble bath there like the night before. A bubble bath? Yeah. Like in a hot tub? Mm-hmm. So I don't know what's been going on there, but, um, yeah, I find out um, he's been over at that place. They've been partying and he's had a hot bubble bath because his body's sore from scaffolding. Very yeah. good excuse. Oh, mate. I've heard that excuse before. 
I've heard a lot of excuses, man. <laughs> but my my mind is just totally to find out what he's been doing, yeah. if he's been sleeping with anybody and why has he left the boys yeah. on their own. And the fact that we have to hide hide behind cars and run from coppers mm. is just this. And, you know, like I was thinking about the story going, because I've been running with the bum bag, people are like, no, why you got the bum bag? Get rid of it. So I've already put myself in danger mm. and also not realising that I'm doing that just because I'm just going with the motions. I'm half, you know, uh, drunk. So all, I, all I'm all i worrying about is just finding him and everything is um, thrown out the window. But I find myself hiding behind a, a car and um, she's trying to whisper to me, you know, like, shh, we're incognito. And I'm like, what? You know, we've got to blend in. We've got to hide from the coppers. And I'm like, yeah, right. So anyways, on the way back, we're running again from the coppers or trying to get from A to B. And as we're hiding behind the cars, because she don't want to be seen, I'm hiding and squatting down behind the car behind her he pops up and makes his way. Simon pops up out of, you know, nowhere, makes his way. He sees me and then I walk towards him. So we're arguing. As we're arguing, she's still behind the car. And then I'm yelling at him, asking him why he's done this. You know, why have you left us? Why have you left the boys? Like, why aren't you being supportive, you know? Like, you're the only one I have here in Sydney. Mm. Why can't you just be a better dad? Mm. All these questions. He walks off and then I automatically go and squat behind the car behind, like with her. And she's like, shh, i got to call a cab. So here she is trying to ring a cab because she says, you want to go into the city for a pizza? <laughs> and I just automatically agree, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll come in with you. And then, um, but he makes his way again. So I pop out from out of the, behind the car and I go and argue with him again. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell? So then I go and hide behind the car again after I argue with him. And it's like this comic, comical, you know, scene that's happening. But what I don't realise is that, you know, I shouldn't be hiding behind that car because I'm not wanted by the cops, but I still have a bum bag. <laughs> So anyways, she calls the police, I mean the um, cabs, um, we get in the cab and then I end up going home. He ends up meeting me at the house in the actual story. I straight away um, go to the police station. I get an AVO out on him. Mm. Um, and then I ask him to leave. Um, I then find a babysitter for the boys just so that I can finish off the the next two weeks. And the babysitter's his mum. So by that time, he's come home on the Sunday, still, you know, coming off a lot of hard drugs. And um, his mum's at the house this time, so I'm I'm happy that, you know, somebody's there to watch them. And, yeah, but all the different characters in the... In the in the play, they all have a story of my childhood. Yeah, so... Um, and we've made it so that um, that's the reason why they turn to drugs. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so the first um, um, Ronnie, when you meet her, she's turned to marijuana um, because um, I think I, I when I was 22, I come down the stairs and um, I witnessed my mum's boyfriend hanging from a rope. So I had to pick him up and um, yell out to family members to cut him down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, we placed that story on her. Um, I think the other young girl who um, he actually met with, so they apparently they did a drug deal um, because she was meeting him at the shop, and the one that was lying on the floor. With the uh, pockets? Yeah, with the pockets, yep. Um, we The story about her was that she'd witnessed her her dad being stabbed by her mum. But in real life it was um, my cousin um, stabbing his girlfriend. Yeah. I think because he, he was under the influence of alcohol. Um, and... There was another story that I placed on uh, the other, the other um, characters, which were also based on um, my life as well. So I tried to think about everything that happened to me. I just placed on them, and that was the reason why they turned to drugs. Yeah. What was that process like on you emotionally, kind of incorporating that kind of you know trauma into your art? How did you? How did you cope I think with that? I was drinking nearly every night. Yeah. Um, I was going to counselling um, and, you know, like even though I have an outlet, um, there was one, there's a story of my grandmother passing away and, you know, my sisters then moved back in with my mum. But um, I think about my process of handling handling those situations and how my sisters handled it. And, you know, very, very different. They never had an outlet, you know. But whereas mine is dance, mine is, you know, story. Yeah, so um, even though I did write that story, there are still things that still affect me. And um, I think um, I think for me it was I felt that it was best to just keep busy, just, you know, find work keep working and, yeah, do as many things as possible so I didn't have to worry about, you know, um, all these different events in my mind. Mm. Yeah. Is that why working with the the humour and the comedy was important for you? Yeah, because um, I had to find a... I had to find a way to make make a hard situation see the see the good side of it or the better side of it or the funny side of it like um you know they in in our in everyday life you always go through something that's bad but if you can find the funny side to it I think life would be better um I'll give you an example (laughs) my mum come home from a funeral and um, she said, oh, she said, gee, them, it was funny today. She said, we went to a funeral. And I said, I said, oh, who's funeral? And um, she said, um, one day my old auntie's there. 
And she said, you know, Uncle Day is Suriburu. And I said, yeah. And she said, well, Sister Mala belongs to him. You know, and I said, oh, okay. So she said she was standing up, her and her sister were standing up behind um, Uncle um, Suriburu and she said as they were walking towards to put the the dirt into the um what is it the like on, the on top box? of the casket or yeah, the, yeah yeah <laughs> she said that um the snake come out of nowhere and it headed towards him anyways um jamma means snake in language so he started to warn everybody jamma 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 like this and no good um everybody split <laughs> They were sort of scattered everywhere, you know, and they're crying and like trying to get out of the way. And um, she said she didn't know whether to cry or laugh because, one, people were rushing to get out of the way from the snake. Two, he was telling everybody, but he was backing up as well. And she said as he backed up, he backed up into a hornet's nest. So he was like, like trying to... <laughs> trying to get the hornets like out of his face and she said she said when she looked at him his face was so puffed up because he'd like, been bitten by the <laughs> and she said Etta, she said look we didn't know whether to cry or laugh eh? <laughs> but she said Don Mugai's face like it was so puffy she said look they, they, she said oh well that'll teach him a lesson because I Apparently, he had turned up a little bit under the weather, you know, charged up, like uh, drunk. Uh-huh. She said, yeah, but they believe that the spirit went into that snake to, you know, like warn him or growl at him. Like, the, yeah. yeah. Don't you be ready. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But anyways, so these are the stories that we talk about, you know. Mm. Yeah. And that's what keeps us as uh, storytellers, as um you know, human beings, we can find a, a funny side to a story, even though um, it's, yeah, sad. You've been developing a new work at Carriage Works. Uh, what can you reveal about it and who else are you working with? Okay, so um, the new work is called Plant a Promise. It's about looking at global warming. It's about looking at community and how we can um, get community on board to think about the way that they they change their lifestyle, you know, and live more sustainably. So um, I'm working with um, producer Pippa Bailey, um, set designer Lara Week, dancers um, Andrea Adidi and Glenn Thomas and sound um, designer Andrew Bat Rawdon. Um, we've had one week, oh, sorry, two, two and a half weeks at Carriage Works. This work was meant to be done last year, um, but due to COVID, nobody uh, wasn't allowed to get into the space. So we'd only had um, one week at Carriage, uh, sorry, Critical Path. Um, which is near uh, Double Bay, mm-hmm. yeah, so on that side. But, yeah, the work um, came together pretty quick. Lara designed these beautiful big trees or trunks out of the um, the curtains, yeah, in the space. And then um, as a way to get community on board, I did a, did a thing where they would um, collect a eucalypt branch and add the eucalypt branch to the trees 
So when Lara designed it, she put rope around the tree so that they could just place their their branch into the bark, making it look like epicormic growth. Mm. Yeah, so the whole work is um, looking at before the fire, then smoke, fire, ashes, and then epicormic growth. Yeah, so all these different sections. And what do you hope audiences will get out of experiencing this type of show? Well, I want them to um, feel like they're in a different country, so I think about um, young elders to come and smoke the smoke the place and give a welcome to country. So you're already smelling fire or smoke. Then as they come into the space, they see the set. So it looks like um, uh, they're in the middle of the uh, bushland. Um, and then as we start to dance... Um, we move through the space, so showing from before the fire. So it's just us moving as plants with a sound um, over the top, talking about country, what it's like to be out on country, you know, rules, regulations, protocols. And then um, as you go through, then it starts to change into um, politicians and... Um, fireys and being asked the questions by environmentalists like, you know, is Australia fireproof? Mm-hmm. You know, what has the government done? Do you think they made the right choices? You know, because when we needed those um, helicopters to drop off the water, we couldn't get them. Mm-hmm. And asking the government, why didn't this happen? Why weren't we supported? Yeah. And then, obviously, you got epicomic growth where we get the audience then to come and place their branches onto the trees to make it look like epicomic growth. But in that process, um, after I get them actually to take a plant pot home, so they plant it in their backyard to show that they're committed to living more sustainably. Yeah. You announced the winner of the Carriage Works Indigenous Fellowship. Yes. First Nations Fellowship. Mm-hmm. How long is the fellowship for and what are you planning? So um, that is, um, yes, I am the recipient. Um, it was for $100,000, um, 50000 each year over two years. The project, <laughs> the project is called Project C. So Caring for Country with Community at Carriageworks. I can yes. see why you called it Project C. Yes. So um, they've given us 12 planter boxes or maybe even more, 12, maybe 17 planter boxes. And I've put it out there for uh, Jarjum College, which is the college in Redfern. And this elders group in Redfern as well um, to come and do some planting on the on, on one day where um, Carriageworks team can come and engage with the community. Yeah, so hopefully this will happen in uh, April. And Jiwa, um, the gardening team at South Everly, is going to lay down the foundation, like put in the water systems and um, the soil so that when Jajams and the elders come, we're just going to be planting. Yeah. Wonderful. What do you think the garden will do for the city of Sydney? 
Wow, that's um, a really great question. So we're hoping to get more people to come in and enjoy the garden, but also be able to um, engage with it, you know, learn about plants that have been planted there. Also, um, depending on what we decide, maybe they might be able to take some of that food source home with them, you know, lemon myrtle or maybe lily pillies or um, native mint depending on what we plant there. But yeah, it's about connecting to country, it's about connecting with each other and connecting with community. I look forward to seeing it come to life. And thank you so much for sharing your time with me. It's been such a pleasure. Yeah, thank you for having me today. We the City is a Jaboa production, hosted by me, Blue Lucene. The City of Sydney is our principal partner, and we thank the Creative Grants Program. This episode was produced by Blue Lucene and Tegan Nichols, with original music by Matt Cornell. We the City is recorded on Gadigal land. Sovereignty was never ceded. <laughs> <laughs>